What are we having? Uh, it's just your standard regular lunch, I guess. Milk? Soup. Oh, that's apple juice. I can read. P, B, and J with the crusts cut off. Well, Brian, this is a very nutritious lunch. All the food groups are represented. Did your mom marry Mr. Rogers? Uh, no, Mr. Johnson. Huh. Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And today, we are going to tackle a movie that I have not seen. And I know this, shame, when I've mentioned this shame, in the forums, shame, I know, man. I know. I mean, it feels like I've seen it. Like, I think I know enough about the movie to kind of get the gist of it. But So the movie that we're going to be tackling, the movie that I have not personally seen, I know this is hard to imagine. Like, of all of this stuff that I am into, of all the movies that I've seen and all of the 80s shit that I'm interested in, how have I not seen The Breakfast Club? And that is that is the movie that I need to tackle. I'm telling you, I think we need to revoke your, your Gunter membership card or something. I I have an excuse, all right? So first off, you're talking about a high school-centered movie around cliques in high school in 1985, all right? Uh-huh. Now, Ghostbusters, as an 11-year-old, I got this, right? Sure. It's ghosts. It's adults hunting ghosts, okay? I think this was even before I knew that Saturday Night Live even existed, but I, I loved these characters. But but this movie, The Breakfast Club, just didn't hit me. I was 11 at the time. I was born in 1974. Okay, okay that's fine. There's no good reason why this movie would have interested me. I didn't watch this movie in 1985. I probably saw it at least 10 years later. Okay. And I, I remember that, I think it was in my high school, there was a teacher that showed this film as part of a class. <laughs> I wasn't in that class. I'm pretty sure that was my brother. What? Yeah. I'm, what teacher shows a movie about rebelling against school? And, I, and, I know. Uh, I know. <sighs> I don't remember exactly the context of it, because, again, it wasn't me in the class, but I'm... 99% certain that it was my brother who actually had this teacher. I don't remember if he was in the class that did it, but I know he knew of it. So I, I don't know. It was something like that. But hmm. I was certainly aware of it. I think I probably saw it in pieces at first because it would be, you know, uh, run on television, probably TBS because everything was on TBS. I don't think it was until it might have even been another 10 years before I saw it start to finish without being censored. I never got around to it. I just never got around. And I wasn't interested. I wasn't interested in... And and it might sound like I know enough, but this this is one of those movies that's a bit like sunlight. You don't have to have good eyesight to get burned by the sun. And this movie is very much the same way. <laughs> I, I have felt the effects of its radiation through culture. So let me, let me tell you what I know of the movie okay. without having actually seen the movie. So let's see how close I am. So it's it's a... A group of teenagers that are kind of in their own, I won't say cliques, but maybe they're representatives of their own cliques. So you have sort of the the moody mopey one, you've got the, the leather jacket rebel, you've got the nerd, you've got the jock. I bet I'm forgetting. Oh, I'm, maybe it's the popular girl. I don't yeah. know. But anyhow, 
My my guess here is that they all do something that gets them in trouble, and they've got to come in on Saturday when nobody's at the school. You've got the principal, and this is just another example of, of the culture exposure here. I know there's a grab the bull by the horns quote that's been memed to the, the freak out of, right? Mm-hmm. Gonna, if you're gonna like, if you're gonna play with the bull, you gotta deal with the horns or some bullshit like that. Yeah, I, I couldn't quote it for you either at this point, but I know it's there. And then, and then my general understanding is is that they they all kind of just sort of fuck off and get to know each other. So you get this sort of cross click contamination. I hate when that happens. All the while, the nerd is stuck with the role of writing the whatever essay it is that they have to write in order to get out of out of detention. I guess we're done. We don't even need to do this episode. You kind of get the point. That, <laughs> that that is how much I know without having seen the movie. Like that is that is how prevalent this movie is in culture. That it, it's I've been exposed to so many side references. This wasn't even a movie that I saw like on HBO. Like I, I could kind of say that I picked up a lot of stuff about the last movie we saw off of HBO, but this one, no. Like, I, I don't think I've seen hardly anything more than maybe a commercial or a, a trailer for this. Uh, but that's, that's, am I close? I would say you're pretty close. I hope that it lives up to something because, I mean, you kind of get the point. I, I really hope that you don't feel like this was a waste of time because you kind of already knew the point. But I think it's, I think you have to see it. To me, it kind of is in that same kind of category as ferris bueller like how have you not seen this like if you hadn't seen ferris bueller i'd be equally as shameful against you yeah i agree so it is something i need to expose myself to fully now I need to open my eyes to the film uh, and i'll be honest with you i'm not i'm not particularly excited to see the movie um but it, so i mean what did you get out of this film like what was your takeaway what what is uh what did you find particularly what do you think everyone else will find has found particularly interesting about this movie. I think much like any kind of multi lead character film or TV show, uh, and there are tons of examples of this, but like, I think everybody finds a character that they, they identify with and they say like, you know, they're the bender. They're the Brian. I'm the Claire or I'm the Allison. And, like they, and they do that with all, with pretty much every movie or show that has that kind of thing. Like people are doing that with Sex and the City. They were doing it with the Golden Girls. And I think that's what people, I think they like to see themselves in movies and television. So they like, they like to connect with one of the characters and feel like it, it hits home. Yeah. And then I think also there's the whole, of, you know, you were in high school and you went through a you were probably one of these people at that point. And it triggers those memories from your childhood. If you've seen this later in life, if you, okay. were, if you were there during it, then or if you were watching this film around the time you were in that, then you probably figuratively saw yourself in the film. That's all I can really kind of guess as to why it's so popular. I mean, it's not a mm -hmm. mind-blowing movie. It's really, it's very... Uh, it's very heavy on dialogue because obviously like it's not, it's not a big, it's, you know, there's no like fight scenes. There's no special effects. It's just, it's talking. So mm -hmm. 
it's a little bit more, I guess maybe it's a little bit more cerebral than films right. that kind of use things to distract you, like big flashy explosions and things. Gotcha. Okay. It's a, it's a good movie. I don't, my guess is you're not going to be done with this movie and say, oh my God, that was so amazing. Thank you for opening my eyes to this. You're going to, you're probably going to be more like, okay, it was all right. All right. I do like more cerebral movies. I, I do like films where they, they rely on the dialogue. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody's done like a psychological analysis of this film and like maybe each one of the characters represents like some type of like this, this person represents ego and this one represents this other insert psychological term here. Gotcha. Some, some low level psych class that compares it to breakfast club. Yeah. I get you. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I, I do dig like, for example, Kevin Smith movies. I do dig, dig movies that, that rely a lot on dialogue that are, are trying that allow actors to do their job, mm-hmm. right? Allow the actors to, you know, explore the lines and explore their character through their lines. I dig that. So, okay, I'll I'll look for that in the movie. Are do you think we're ready to to get cooking with this? I I'm looking forward to watch this movie again. I haven't seen it in a while, so it'll be good. And I hope you see what everybody else sees in it, but. I think there's probably a 50-50 chance of you probably being more kind of on the fence on it. Mm, I get you. Well, I don't I don't think I'm going to hate it. I mean, it's... No, I don't think you're going to hate it. I just think you're going to not be excited by it. Gotcha. God, well, it's John Hughes, and I like I like most of the John Hughes films. And then, and not we're talking not over the top. We're not talking about like the best stuff ever, but we are talking about just entertaining. So I'll, I'm I will I'm open to it being entertaining. I'm not I'm not doing too much uh, presuming here in advance, save for the fact that I kind of get an idea for the general plot. But I think now that I'm beyond high school versus maybe. If I had if I had seen it, I would have seen it before high school and probably not dug it. Um, so um, maybe I would hit it from a different angle than I would have when it came out. Okay. Well, so wow. cool. Let's get it going. All right, man. I'm queued up. You ready to go? Yep. All right. Uh, All right. I'll count it down. All right. I'm. Want me to count it down? Yeah, you count it down. Go for it. Okay. All right. In three, two, one, play. It is now. 7.06. You have exactly eight hours and 54 minutes to ponder the error of your ways. Any questions? Yeah. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? A brain, a beauty, a jock, a rebel, and a recluse. I can't believe this is really happening to me. Before this day is over, they'll break the rules. <coughs> Chicks cannot hold the smoke. That's what it is. Bear their souls. I'm a nymphomaniac. Are your parents aware of this? Take some chances. Being bad feels pretty good. Huh? And touch each other in a way they never dreamed possible. Why'd you do that? Because I knew you wouldn't. The Breakfast Club. They only met once. I don't want to be alone anymore. You don't have to be. But it changed their lives forever. I mean, I consider you guys my friends. I'm not wrong, am I? Universal Pictures presents Emilio Estevez, Paul Gleason, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy in a John Hughes film. Why are you being so nice to me? 
because you're letting me. The Breakfast Club. So, what did you think? So, so, two things. Um, oh boy, here we first, go. A lot of the stuff that I had originally presumed about the movie is very much what the movie is trying to get at, which is that if you just judge shit from the surface, you're going to be wrong and you're going to respond incorrectly to it, even though it might look true. And everyone would agree, for the most part, that it is true from the outside. This movie is kind of like that for me. So don't judge a book by its cover, even if you're sitting in the middle of a library on a Saturday for detention? You could draw that as a very simple conclusion. Um, first, first, I'll start and say that, uh, you know, on a scale of like one to ten, I'd throw it at like a six. Really? Wow. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Like a six isn't bad for me, right? It's just kind of middle of the road. Like as a kid, would I have wanted to watch Short Circuit or, or Back to the Future over this movie? Absolutely. And in fact, there have been a couple people that were kind of like online, oh my God, there's no way you hadn't seen this. What's wrong <laughs> with the world? Something is broken reality. Yeah, because you hadn't seen it yet. I know, but you got to consider the time that it hit me. Like, okay, so this movie hits people, and I think the people feel strongest about it are the ones that can relate the deepest to it. So i got to imagine, we're talking about people who are already into high school, right, by the point that this movie comes out. You're talking about a span of maybe four or five, maybe six years here, that this movie could have really affected somebody at the right time and the right place. I was 10. I was I four. Did- Okay, fine. But hear me out, though. That's one side of this. The other side, as somebody had else mentioned, I was negative, too. And I've seen this movie several times. I'm like, all right, that's cool. That's fine. Then you get to a place down the road where it could be relevant to you or someone introduces it to you and says, hey, this is a classic. You got to see this. And then you're going back and looking at going, oh, my God, it's part of this. You know, this period of time that I just about missed out on or completely missed out on. And now it's kind of like reflecting to this lost trove of of content. And that's very much what the book is about, too. Right. Ready Player One is about kids discovering great things in an earlier time and then reflecting on it in the future. But for a kid that was 10. For a movie that absolutely came out, I had no interest in it whatsoever. It did not hit me. I'm 10. I can't relate to that yet. Not even close. So it was just a movie. One of many that came out. It came and it went. By the time I was in high school, that movie had been off the screen for like five or six years. So I, I compared it to, for example, a Volkswagen bug, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. These days, there's a gargantuous adoration by a number of people, a number of people that don't even remember when the Volkswagen Bug came out. They've just got this love, this adoration for this car that, quote unquote, is a classic. But the fact of the matter is, is when I was 10 years old, the Volkswagen Bug was so common that there was a kid's game pivoted around it called Punch Buggy. You could see Volkswagen so frequently that like a brother and sister would be in the back seat looking for Volkswagens. And you'd punch your brother and go, Punch Buggy Pink. And then he'd punch you back and go, punch Buggy White. I've never heard of this game. Weird. Yes, that was a thing. That's how common that damn car was. And it was considered a death trap. There was no engine in front. There was nothing to protect you from another car. So it was just, at the time, a car. What does this got to do with Breakfast Club? For me, it was just a movie. Okay, and, you can, and you've enjoyed other... I mean, like... Okay, so let's talk about some other John Hughes films. 
Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Okay. Loved it. Loved For it. me, it was a classic. When I watched it, it hit me at the right time. Okay, so I the, may have actually been around their age when I watched that movie for the first time. Really? Yeah. I don't think it was that many years different from Breakfast Club. It was two years later, maybe even a year later. That might be the case, and I might not have. I did not see it in the theater. I didn't see it in the theater. So I you got to keep in mind is like, movie comes out in the theater, and then it takes a couple years to get to HBO. So by the time I watched it, I was probably a freshman in high school. Okay, but you can't look at Breakfast Club and say, okay, now if I. Think about it in the context of your time in high school and try to appreciate it from that point of view. You're saying that that's you're not able to do that because I think that it's one of those movies where the, the fact that there are kids in high school is sort of, I mean, it's it's relevant, but it's also irrelevant. It could be applied to a variety of situations that don't necessarily involve a school setting, but it's... I think it's adaptable. If not for you being able to say, well, I remember it being similar when I was in high school or in some other scenario where you have the uh, the congregating of people from different backgrounds and different interests, and then they kind of all kind of realize that they're, they all have to from one person's perspective everybody else has got their shit together but in reality none of them do and they all have problems and they're different mm -hmm. problems but blah 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 insert something insightful here no you're right so i mean to me that this is one of those movies that you know having just watched it i i th and this is probably one of the few times i've actually been able to watch it straight through without interruption without commercials without censors mm -hmm. and normally I would probably distract myself with something, especially since I've seen this movie so many times before. But I was just sitting there watching it and just having an even greater appreciation for it than yeah. ever before. Right. So what I should say here is I'm not I'm not bitching on it. I, I'm saying that it is better than I thought it was going to be. Oh, well, that's good. Uh, so me giving it a six, I really thought it was going to be a four. So it's it's better than what I thought would be average, about a five. I don't want six. I don't sound six. Maybe six and a half. Six isn't six isn't bad in my book. It's just not great, not super great. Follow me, uh, but it's still good and still much better than I thought it was going to be. So, first and foremost, this this to me harkens back to to uh, what I love about say like Quentin Tarantino or Kevin Smith movies, and that is that they write great dialogue and they can do wonderful movies on nearly no budget with a uh, very little variety in location. And still produce a great movie. This reminds me of movies like Clerks or oh, I love Clerks. Reservoir Dogs. I mean, these were singular locations where they did a majority of their filming. So it was centered around the actors. It was centered around their lives, their interaction, their background, and then how they relate to each other. And then eventually how the, the story ends up with, with how they relate to each other after the fact. There's growth through character interaction. And I think if there's anything that movies today really miss out on is they try to to have character growth through action and not through conversation, not through deeper conversation. I liked – I just recently went and saw the, the most recent Star Wars movie, and I uh, – I, I have not seen it yet. I'm not going to spoil it, but what I will definitely say here that it's not a spoiler – there was a lot of action. It was a good movie. I feel it was a very, very solid movie, potentially a solid end even to the franchise. However, what I felt like is that there was a lot of action, but not a lot of connection, not a lot of 
conversations that evolve, you know, and that's different between I say something and you come up with a quip and I go, ah, no, that's, that's not evolution through conversation. That's evolution through memes. And this movie, uh, John Hughes movies, but this one in particular reminds me very much of the early Tarantino and Kevin Smith stuff, where it hinged very much on just a group of characters in a single location getting to know each other and growing from that and having an experience. So in that sense, what I, my takeaway, my initial surface was a bunch of kids from Clicks get together and uh, they get to know each other over a weekend or over a Saturday where they're in detention. Nine hours. The fact of the matter is, is that this is incredibly relevant to today when we are wrapped up in social media, when we're wrapped up in seeing how wonderful someone else's life is, when on a day-to-day -day basis we're struggling to figure out how to survive our own life. And we're doing it in comparison to who we think everyone else is and what everyone else shows us. But when you take everyone and you put them in a room for eight hours and you really tear them all down, what you recognize is that just below that veneer surface is a struggle that threatens their identity. It threatens their life. It threatens uh, their sanity. And that every one of them was going through deep emotional and physical complexities that can't be shown at the surface, but is somehow expressed through who they are as, as a, again, these stereotypes, if you will. And to me, those are all the reasons why this is a wonderfully written film and I think perfectly cast and yeah. just executed, I, I mean, in some ways probably better than many other of the movies that are in Artemis's dorky girl fantasies and dorky boy fantasy trilogy movies. Yeah. I'll take a pause here to say like that's where this movie is mentioned in the book Ready Player One. It was back in chapter two when mm -hmm. uh, Parzival is talking about having first read Artemis's blog, Artie's Missives, and mm -hmm. she was writing her, or he read a post, a very popular post of hers about called the John Hughes Blues, her in-depth treatise on her six favorite John Hughes teen movies, which she divided into two separate trilogies, the Dorky Girl Fantasies trilogy, which included 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink, and Some Kind of Wonderful, and the Dorky Boy Fantasies trilogy, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, yeah, and, and the book actually reflects that really well, which is that, that, that Parzival thinks he's in love with Artemis. Artemis continually sort of reflects and says, you don't know me. You can't know me based on what I present to you to what I show you. And, and that very much reflects back to this movie, which is that there's no way for any of the characters to know anything about each other because they're so different on the surface. But the one thing they have in common is how they choose to react and to their inner person, their personal life, their, the deeper aspects of the personal life. You know, you can't compare one to the other per se, because you've got the kid who has an abusive father that's putting cigars out on his arm. You have the other kid that gets an F in school. But to the kid that gets an F in school, that's suicide worthy. To the kid who's getting his arm burned with a cigar... He's just trying to survive, and he's just acting out as a means of muffling a world that otherwise is causing him pain. When he is in silence and alone, he is suffering. He is trying to constantly distract himself from an otherwise shitty life. 
And boy, did he nail that in his um, depiction of his dad and mom. Well, well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, there were scenes where he's just kind of like looking off, like clearly in like a sort of self-contemplative place, where you just kind of got that sense that he's just thinking about his life. You were just saying he was like that's what that was his inner demon. Yeah, and you saw that where when he says, "I you know, I can't even sit here and talk to you guys," and he kind of runs up and sits on the stairs by himself. Uh, with his eyes closed, or there was that time where he was in that supply closet with the principal where he's mm-hmm. just kind of like looking off into the distance, and then he kind of turns to look back at the teacher guy or the the principal, and you kind of could see like in his expression that that's what was going on in his head. Like just, he, I think he just nailed that character. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course you can find our social media pages where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now let's get to the good part. And, and you know what it, the one thing on the surface that I kind of took for granted was the principle was the fact that I thought the principle was just going to be sort of a sort of very surface antagonist for the situation. But in fact, there are moments after he's yelling at the kids and giving like eight or nine consecutive detentions in a row where he leaves and he just, he sighs and he's, he's, doesn't have that aggression anymore. He doesn't have that front that he was putting up. He's just like, what am I doing? This is horrible. And what what's going on with the world? And then eventually he has that moment where he's talking with the janitor. I wish there had been more time with the janitor. From what I understand, there was a lot of extra footage that was cut out, including more with the janitor. Oh, that there was... had to have been. There were tons of gaps in logic. Oh, like you yeah. You don't go from saying, I hate you and everyone crying to all of a sudden everyone running in the hallway, going from room to room. Like there's a good five minutes where they all decide to go take a, a walk down the hallways and they do a little music. And it's kind of like, at what point is there any rational change where they decide to all come together after the moment just before and go down the hallway together? And do something incredibly risky. Be caught outside yeah. of that detention hall by the principal. Like, yeah, like it. The, it yeah, I thought that ex- exactly the same way you did watching it this time was wait a minute. Like, yeah, where's that five or 10 minutes of film that gets us from point A to point B that is clearly missing? I, I want to see the longer version. There's, there's a three hour version of this movie, and I want to see it. But, but even stepping back, like I was talking to my daughter, I was like, okay, what? What did you see in this movie? What what did you connect with? I said, there's there's a surface level that the director writes, but that's really expressing something lower. There's something under this that, that is trying to be communicated. And she's like, well, I know what that is. I was like, well, tell me what you think that is. Nope, you've got to find out for yourself, which basically means 
she's pulling my leg. Or she knows, but she's pulling my leg. No, it's like city slickers. It's like, you know, uh, the meaning of meaning life is one thing, just one thing. You got to find that out for so yourself. you to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Could be. But I, for me, this is like a reflection on the world. Uh, it, and I don't mean like just like the world in a classroom, but it's just like a reflection of of how we go through time. And as kids, you know, what we go through seems so huge. And it doesn't matter what life you're living in. Everything is is blown up. Everything expanded. And F is suicide worthy. Or you hate being popular because of the pressures on you. Or you've got family life issues that you're just trying to escape. Or... You know, you've got a family that completely ignores you and you just want to be seen. And so you lie all the fucking time or you say weird shit or you do weird shit, want to get noticed, but are used to not being noticed. Any number of things that makes the world so huge. And then as you move into that, that, that contradiction as being an adult, you're like, the kids are getting worse every year. And you know what? The prophet steps in. The prophet is the person that has his thumb on the world, the undercurrent of what the fuck is really going on with everyone. And that's the janitor. And the janitor says, you're fucking kidding yourself. The kids haven't changed. You've changed. And your fear of these kids taking care of you older, don't count on it. They're still going to be worried about taking care of themselves, just like you are now. And, and to me, this is kind of like a larger play. Of, of generations and and kind of, you know, going off to what you have to deal with when you're older, dealing with a lack of respect as you age. And then again, that prophet coming in and saying, it's much bigger than you think, and, and you're not what you think, uh, and the kids aren't what they think, and you're all still struggling with the same problem which is that you've got deeper issues and you're just trying to go through life making people view you as you want to be viewed. And that's that's why I want to see more janitor. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you two questions. Who was your favorite character in the movie? And then the second question is, of the main cast, if you had to pick one or two or a combination of two of the characters, who were you in your high school? I was, and this is rough because all the characters are such an extreme of of what they were. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? So I was definitely not the sports dude. I was definitely not the popular kid. So we just take those two right off the table. I, I'm with you there. That uh, we're, <laughs> we're narrowing down to the same point, I think. Uh, so I would have to be uh, somewhere between uh, Allison Reynolds and, which is the character played by Ali Sheedy. Maybe a little bit of Bender and uh, a little bit of Brian. Okay. The Anthony Michael Hall character. So uh, because, it, you know, I I wasn't like, I didn't get A's. I didn't care about getting A's. Uh, I cared about passing. Like, that's where my bar was, right? <laughs> I, I hear you. But on the flip side of that, I was part of the academic decathlon. And the reason why was because I got shitty grades, but the teachers were like, when he focuses, he can do good things. He just doesn't care. <laughs> So they saw me as so that's as, that's um, what makes you bender. They sort of yeah, but I mean I also had like the trench coat and I had the satchel, um, and you know I I wouldn't do like crazy crazy shit and I didn't have parents that were like beating up on me or burning me or shouldn't have switchblades, but I was making like impromptu explosive weapons in my garage. All right. You know, I had like a I had like a converted video game case on the back of a winter glove that I could shoot 
bottle rockets out of with, you know, pinching your fingers of my tips. But could you make a lamp out of an elephant? Uh, yeah, probably, actually. That's the kind of shit I was good at. I like I liked shop. The, that whole scene when they're all in the circle talking about, like, what they did to get in there, mm-hmm. according to trivia on IMDb, that was all ad-libbed. Oh, seriously? Oh, my God. Seriously? Yeah. All of that was ad lib. Like, surely he was like, "All right, go do some homework and come up with like a backstory." Because here's the scene, and you got to talk to it. So, dude's like pulling out like tears and talking about how he wants to kill himself, and then he fucking ad libs in that he brought a a, a flare gun, not a pistol. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm surprised everyone didn't just freaking bust up and just have to go cut. You've got to do something else. I, I, I mean, I have a hard time believing that that was completely ad-libbed i could see parts maybe but how could that be ad-libbed right i could imagine the point is that i i'm sure they were told here's what the reason why you're in here go do whatever that works for you and here's why you're in here watching this movie again i kind of realized that we don't get everybody's backstory as to why they're there well yeah we don't find out why claire is there (sighs) she's just there yeah, I don't remember why she's there. You're right. I guess not. Huh. But but Daddy couldn't get her out of it. It's like, oh my God, you were such a princess. Yeah. Yeah, but even if he did, it would still be just a pander to her, which is what she hates to begin with. Yeah. Right. So uh, it's it's kind of like she takes it, and part of her likes it, but a part of her hates it. Uh, whatever. It, yeah. Uh, what was her, right? That's kind of the point, is that like, you know, everybody else is kind of thinking, oh, you poor thing, you're so popular and your parents are, are fighting for your approval or whatever. And to the people that aren't going through that, that seems like that's not a bad gig to be in. But to her, it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. That you can't compare it to where you're coming from. You can't compare your grass to someone else's or someone else's grass to yours. You, you've got what you've got. And if you go comparing it to other people, it's just going to seem worse. But the fact of the matter is... Nobody fully loves any particular position they're in. It doesn't matter how rich or how poor they are. Nobody completely loves where they are. And nobody completely hates where they are either. You know, I mean, these people, they didn't completely hate where they were. They just did not like a lot of the situations they were in. And for most of them, it had to do with their family or or their authority figures. Uh, And... Again, that kind of speaks to to the principal and the time that this movie spends with the principal and and him being kind of a representation of their parents and the struggle that he has to go through with the kids and the fact that he's getting older and he's changing in relation to them uh, and that he may kind of be overdoing it. I mean, the fact that he actually kind of gets into that place where he wants to do a fist fight with with Judd Nelson's character, Bender. It's just kind of that was that was so weird. You know that that level, that end level of frustration because he's like, no one's gonna believe you. Just just hit me so that I have a reason to beat the shit out of you. And it's kind of like, what level of frustration do you have? He's no better than they are in that sense. He's just older and getting less respect, and that and that's the position he's in. And he so, makes thirty five thousand uh, dollars a year. <laughs> I, I, I oh mean, the point, yeah. The, oh yeah. yeah. Is wrong in it, but uh, you know, like the more you kind of dissect this movie, you do kind of see how the problems that we have today with social media and kids of this age 
they were still going on. They're just a very different execution in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we see it now on Facebook, but the kids saw it in high school. The kids saw the, the grass being greener presented by everyone else around them. And the ones that really had the deep cut issues uh, struggled the hardest and also struggled the hardest with keeping it as, as low profile as possible. I like, for example, the description of Emilio Estevez's character, Andrew, uh, him, you know, taping the one kid or getting on top of him, beating out, beating the shit out of the weaker kid and then taping his ass together. Right. Uh, and just how uh, trying to imagine how mortified that kid had to be going home yeah, and, and how he just hated the fact that he did it and that he felt that his father put him in a position to have to do it. You know, shit like that, where you're just kind of like, whoa, that's kind of fucked up. And you just wouldn't expect it from somebody whose life seems to be perfect and, and seems to be going in the direction that he'd want it to go. So I'd say, if anything, what it, what it really does is if you see somebody whose life just seems too perfect or seems way better than yours, this movie just emphasizes the fact that everybody has shit that they go through. Nobody's life is as perfect as as they present it to be. And in fact, those who present a more perfect life tend to have deeper cuts of trouble running through them and they're overcompensating. That goes for kids and adults. I mean, like think about the, I mean, this is going a little bit off topic, but like you you think of somebody like Robin Williams who apparently had his problems and on the surface you think, oh, he's got to be a a pretty happy guy because he makes everybody laugh, but he clearly had some problems. Yeah. Well, that's a perfectly good example because that's the thought that I had. Like, how bad is his life? How bad could his life be? This is a man who's been in movies, loved by millions, probably made millions of dollars, financially well-funded. Well you know, he has a loving wife, has a loving family, has kids. You know, okay, yeah, he had a, he had a, a physical disorder that was starting to kind of come on. But how bad could it be? But that that's comparing my perspective to his situation. And his situation is like the kid who can't get an F. It's got nothing to do with an F. And it's got nothing to do with that the situations around them that may look perfect. It's the fact that that person is interpreting their world in a way that is creating an enormous amount of pressure and, and that is limiting the choices that are available to them. And it doesn't matter how good people may think you've got it. Your role in that position may only leave you a certain set of options that you can see. And those options may not be good. So that's a perfect example, Aaron. Perfect. I, I do the best I can. Yeah. But I think your appreciation of this movie will grow over time. I think now that now that you've seen it, you can yep. let it kind of simmer a little bit. And then you know, maybe a few months from now... Watch it again. See what you think. I, you know what? When I came off the couch, having watched the movie, I uh, uh, my first thought was plot holes, logic holes, uh, over the top shit. Yeah. Meh. And then after thinking about it, I was kind of like, "There's there are a lot of deeper cuts here that I I need to find, or that I, that are exist. There's reasons here." And then again, another half hour later, and here we are, and it's you know kind of coming out that that there is a lot of layers to this. Again, below the surface of what I had presumed this movie to be, much like the characters in the movie. So I know we like going to the tomato meter. Do you have any particular thoughts about where it ranks? I would probably say that initially this would have ranked somewhere uh, in the seventy-ish percent. 
I would say that um, nostalgia probably puts it somewhere in the, the low 80s and, uh, for the audience. Um, and, and then maybe maybe for the critics, it might bump it up. So I'd probably say mid to upper 70s for critics, probably mid to upper 80s for the audience. And that's not having looked at it. Gotcha. See, when I watched this, I was like thinking, or when I finished watching this, uh, or towards the end, I was thinking, you know, if I was going to tomato meter this thing based on like how I was feeling after just what watching it, whatever it was, 20 minutes, half an hour ago, mm-hmm. it, to me, it was kind of like solidly in the, in the mid nineties. Oh, wow. Wow. Mid nineties, dude, your bar is too high I, I know, but, or but, too low. What? <laughs> I think your bar is too low. No, uh, because again, I'm, I'm thinking of it compared to some other movies from that era that were just uh, like, okay, like we recently watched Better Off Dead, which I thought had some over-the-topness to it that kind of was a little off-putting, where this feels like a lot more genuine, much more character-driven, more character development, better writing. And to me, that kind of elevated it a bit. And it kind of, um, let's say it, it had me more more concentrated on it than it had before. And I don't know if it's because I was watch, trying to watch it with the intent of doing this little review of it, but it just kind of, like, I, I feel like it's, it kind of transcends the era from which it was done. Mm-hmm. It's jumping on a lot of themes that are still relevant today. And there was a few quirky parts to it that I thought were a little silly, like the dancing scene, which was just felt forced and bizarre. And then the, that part where, what was his name, Andrew, when he's high and running around and like he makes the glass on the door break from screaming, that was a little bit stupid. Other than that, I thought it was just a, it was a solid film that to me is somewhere between 90 and 95. And I would guess, may, you know, I mean, the tomato meter is probably going to be more towards where you were saying, probably somewhere in the lower to mid 80s. Because I think when you really look at it with a critical eye, there's probably more to it that's a little bit that knocks it down a little bit more. But sure. to me, it 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 had some a little, a little bit of a nostalgia, and I, I just thought it was I just thought it was it was a very well done movie. I mean, it, I mean, I mean, right off the bat, just watching it this time, like I kind of like as soon as that first scene where you see the outdoor, you know, the exterior shot of the building, and I'm mm-hmm. just like and realizing like just their choice of that building as the exterior for the school was just perfect. It was so drab. So great. I'm looking at a picture of it now. And this building was probably built in the 1970s because it's of an architectural style that it's called brutalism. Just this heavy fucking concrete. Yeah. I mean, just, just the way it was built, it looked like I noticed these like giant square uh, basically concrete eyebrows hanging over that first row of, uh, of windows. It's it's so it, it it feels like a fucking prison and like that was exactly the right choice. <laughs> That's exactly what it looked like. And yeah, you're right. So looking at Rotten Tomatoes, we're probably not surprised. I'm maybe a little bit surprised uh that the general tomato meter is eighty nine percent with an audience score of ninety two. That makes sense to me that the audience finds it a little bit better than the critics. I'm a little bit surprised that critics found it in 89. I was 
It was only three points off. It's pretty oh, close. Yeah, it's pretty close. I mean, I know for me, I'm I like I'm not surprised that like my rating for it is much closer to the audience score. That's how I feel people would gravitate towards this film. But 89 on the critic side feels. I mean, if this is modern, including modern critics, then maybe that is that maybe that does make sense. Yeah, yeah, I would have expected that the 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 scores would have been lower for the critics. Uh, that if it was hearkening back to the 80s, the critic scores for the 80s, like the ratings there. So when we look here, we see a total count for the tomato meter of 63, whereas the audience score has a, a rating of well from over a half a million people, which is a pretty stark contrast. Yeah. Uh, I would have expected that that the critics would be lower, but it, again, if these if these are modern though, these are critics that are also kind of comparing current movies with the nostalgia of movies that they loved, and this would probably be one of those movies that they loved. I just saw something really interesting when when you go get more info on this rating. When you there's the tomato meter for the critics, and there's all critics versus top critics. Top critics, right. It's sixty percent. Ah, I see. I see. Interesting. Okay, well, regardless, interesting to see how how it's how it's reviewed or how people took it, and and to kind of compare it with where my head's at. So, so all right, cool. We good here? The one thing I want to say before we go is that I remember back on our first season of the podcast talking about this movie. I remember Ryan saying how he loved basically that everything John Bender said in this movie was quotable, and. Watching this now, thinking about that, I mean, it's absolutely true. He just, everything he said was just great. A lot of, a lot of great lines. It, it's, yes, his shit's quotable because he has the lion's share of, of the script. He arguably talks more than anyone else. In fact, he provokes everyone else. That's, he does all, the, nearly, he does a majority of the talking. So not really surprised that that he has the quotable lines because everyone else is just really responding to him provoking them. Had he not been in there, everyone else would have basically kept their head down and not talked to each other. Yeah, it was. It's a great movie. I I enjoyed it. I will definitely watch it again down the road. Why not? I'm glad we got to do this, and I'm glad you can find this. Say that you've seen it. Me too. I hope you feel that way enriched. I won't be harshly criticized for for missing out on classic '80s nostalgia. <laughs> well, mission accomplished. I feel like I'm I'm all caught up now, almost. <laughs> all right, cool. We'll move on to the next movie then, I guess. I guess we'll have to figure out what that is. All right. Well, until that next movie, this is Chris and this is Aaron, and we'll catch you in the next episode. See ya. cool with the talking movies like i'm a i'm a pretty big fan of of uh um oh that one yeah <laughs> shut up uh uh criminy um yeah never mind
time I have to come in here, I'm cracking skulls. <laughs>